Hi guten Morgen, America. I hope your German is very well. Sehr gut. Ja, sie ist sehr dritt. Und sie hat etwas. Hi there, welcome back, and let's see what's going on on Midas Touch tonight. Um, so yeah, thanks for, uh, I'm just looking at people who liked my reel. Snoop Dogg started all video. Didn't see it. <clears throat> Where the heck is my face? I mean, my uh, YouTube. Where's my YouTube? Bleeding ale. <clears throat> Somebody started following me, one person. Big whoop. Ah, oh, there it is. YouTube. Okay. <clears throat> so we're going to Midas Touch uh, playlist and see what uh, see if Uncle Shitbird is finally going to fucking jail. Uncle Shitbird. Trump's midnight tantrum not only shows how panicked he is about indictments, but he may have just opened up the floor, door for me to more charges and evidence views against him. Ah, yeah. Nah, yeah. About this little. Lynch what a burn, what a cut, stick your finger up your butt. KAMP Student Radio at the University of Arizona. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. As the Manhattan District Attorney moves ever closer to Yay. criminally indicting Donald Trump, Donald up. Trump is on his social media platform just saying some of the most disgusting and vile things. He's at it again. He posted on his social media platform more posts that look like witness intimidation of Stormy Daniels, who he continually and misogynistically refers to over and over again as horseface. Let me read for you, yeah, well, you didn't uh, care the most about recent that post that he made. And then following and this post, he then starts really posting about golf and golf balls and says, leave the golf balls alone. I mean, it's truly a situation where we have a completely deranged madman. And yet... He is leading a cult that is the MAGA Republican Party. He is who the Republican Party looks to as a leader. Someone who says this. I did nothing, in caps, wrong in the, quote, horse face case. I see oh, she showed up in New York today trying to drum up some publicity for herself. 
I haven't seen or spoken to her since I took a picture with her on a golf course in full golf gear, including a hat, close to 18 years ago. She knows nothing about me other than her conman lawyer Avenatti and convicted liar and felon jailbird Michael Cohen may have schemed up. Never had an affair with her, just another false accusation by a sleazebag witch hunt. You know, uh, I feel very strongly that this post constitutes another crime of witness intimidation. I mean, referring to Stormy Daniels in connection with her appearance before a criminal grand jury where she was subpoenaed and calling her a horse face, saying that she went there to drum up publicity and calling her a sleazebag, saying that in general is completely vile, but saying it also in connection with her appearance before a criminal grand jury that is investigating his crimes, I believe is criminal, and I believe it is a charge that Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg should charge him with. And when you look at this, what Donald Trump's argument is, what he and his lawyers have been saying their defenses, is that there was no affair, and here in this post he's saying that there was not even any sexual intercourse that took place, or as I've said before, the 1.5 seconds of sex that he uh, evidently had. Here he's saying all he did was take a photograph with her, which basically means that one of the ways that you will be able to impeach him, and this is one of the things that he is opening the door to, is that by claiming that no sex occurred, he will open the door in the criminal trial to, in ver to very excruciating detail Stormy Daniels talking about the sex, mm. talking about his very tiny penis, mm. talking about what Pleasure. a disgusting individual he is. That will necessarily have to come out um, to further identify that Donald Trump is a complete and utter liar. And by the way, this evidence as well could be used in other cases against Donald Trump to just show that he's a liar. Like, I can see this post, for example, being used in the E. Jean Carroll case, for example. I bet you E. Jean Carroll's lawyer in the civil rape trial and defamation trial, currently in federal court in the Southern District of New York that's set to go to trial in April, will show these messages to Donald Trump because... What we saw E. Jean Carroll's lawyer do in the deposition of Donald Trump is show him all these other statements that he's made where he's called climate change a hoax and he's called the 2020 election a hoax. And she said, look, all of these things that are real, that are inconvenient to you, you call a hoax and you're also calling E. Jean Carroll's allegations a hoax. So add to that now Donald Trump saying that Stormy Daniels is another hoax and that they never even had sex. So it's very possible E. Jean Carroll's lawyer brings this up. Imagine being Donald Trump's lawyer. Well, I would never, ever, ever want to imagine that, but we don't need to imagine it. We've seen Joe Takapina, his new lawyer, as I called it, go on a self-flagellation tour and just look utterly ridiculous when asked the most basic questions. He was like trying to grab the paper out of Ari Melber's hands. 
or uh, Haba, Alina Haba. I mean, what in the world is going on there? But look, this is what Donald Trump's argument is. I took a picture with her in a golf course in full golf gear, including a hat. I, I guess that's his way of saying he wasn't naked. I mean, is, is that what he says? Close to 18 years ago. And then he's accusing Avenatti and Cohen of, of, of teaming up. That's part of his uh, accusation. They schemed up, never had an affair with her, just another false accusation by a sleazebag. I mean, when the media tries to normalize this behavior and they cover his events like he's such some normal candidate, it aggravates me to no end because this is a sick, sadistic, maniac, malignant narcissist. This, this is a truly vile and deranged person, like as despicable of a human being as you can be. You know, Ben, you're going too far. No, I'm not. Who calls? Who uses this horse face, sleazebag, someone who appeared before a criminal grand jury and then accused Stormy Daniels of showing up to drum up publicity. She was subpoenaed to speak before the criminal grand jury that is criminally investigating you. By the way, I wouldn't be surprised if perhaps Alvin Bragg is showing these posts to the criminal grand jury in real time and saying, look at what he's writing right now. Look at what the individual is saying. You heard from Stormy Daniels. Stormy, have you seen these posts that he's making? And how do you respond to these posts that he's making? Think about that. And think about that that's actually what is going to happen, the criminal trial against Donald Trump. And then so right after posting that, here's what Donald Trump says. He goes, here we go again with the USGA wanting to cut the distance out of a golf ball. Remember, you still have to chip, putt, and do everything else. They really have bigger problems like live. People want to feel and watch the long ball. Also, they want to see the great players hit home runs, not singles and doubles. Length is important for entertainment value. Leave the golf ball alone. Balls will be mixed for years to come. What a mess. Also, allow long putters and ball drops from past heights. It's like a completely deranged statement right here. Leave the golf ball alone in caps after calling a witness who just testified before a criminal grand jury horse face and sleaze bag and accusing her of seeking out publicity when she was subpoenaed to speak before a criminal grand jury. And then over here, um, supporting live the Saudi Arabian backed golf tournament because they um, pay you money to play at your golf course and, and, and saying the, the USGA should worry about live golf. Are you absolutely kidding me, folks? This isn't normal. I refuse to be gaslit by anyone who tries to normalize this behavior. And that is the modern-day MAGA Republican Party. That is who the Republican Party is in 2023. Enough is enough. This is disgusting conduct. I am glad that Donald Trump will soon be criminally indicted, which he absolutely deserves. I am frankly just disgusted. Disgusted by these statements, as every American should be. It's embarrassing, it's humiliating to our country, and it should be humiliating to the Republican Party. But in 2023, the Republican Party has no 
shame. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 1 million subscribers in March. We are marching to 1 million subscribers thanks to your incredible support. So please hit subscribe. It's free to subscribe on our YouTube channel. Help us get to 1 million subscribers. Hit subscribe. Also, wherever you get your audio podcast, just search Midas Touch Podcast and subscribe. Free as well. Free, free, free. So subscribe uh, and check us out wherever you get your audio. Thank you so much. Till next time, I'm Ben Micellis. Love this video? Then you'll love the Midas Touch podcast. Listen as my brothers and I break down the latest news and chat with top political leaders on the fastest growing pro-democracy podcast in the world. New episodes drop every Tuesday and Friday. Add the Midas Touch podcast right now wherever you listen to your podcasts. Without skilled trade professionals, many of the things we do every day would be impossible. UTI is making more than $15 million in scholarships and grants available to those who qualify. To help meet the demand, visit uti.edu to see jobs in demand and how you can train in less than a year. You're watching and listening to this week's midweek edition of Legal AF on the Midas Touch Network. On today's episode, we discuss the Manhattan DA's criminal investigation of Donald Trump related to the cover-up of the $130,000 hush money payments paid to her by Michael Cohen, where we are in the indictment process, and what we think of Donald Trump's various new defenses he trial ballooned on TV and on social media over the weekend, including the Melania defense, the statute of limitations defense, and the I was extorted defense. And we've got some special audio tapes for you so you can make up your own mind. And then we move to the E. Jean Carroll civil rape and defamation case, which is going to be picking a jury just in a few weeks. And the hits keep on coming for Donald Trump, this time the judge, on the heels of letting the jury hear the Access Hollywood tape and have two more women testify about being sexually assaulted by Trump. Now Judge Kaplan is strongly considering protecting the jury by making it anonymous and wants to hear from the lawyers this week on their opinions. What does that mean? And what does that mean for the defense even before they step into a courtroom? We'll discuss that. We'll talk about did Donald Trump launder $8 million of Russian money through his truth social media SPAC? The federal prosecutors in investigating the SPAC want to know and we explore. Then we're going to move to the battle between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis, which has now gone to another level where the super PAC for Donald Trump apparently has filed an ethics charge with the Florida Commission on Ethics against Ron DeSantis in a multi-page letter, and we're going to talk about that as well. And then finally, the Department of Justice doesn't sleep, and it's going after bad people no matter where they are. This one, a Chinese money launderer, uh, Bannon associate, I think he owned the boat that Bannon was taken off of, um, and a big funder of CPAC has been indicted in a $1 billion fraud. And we'll talk about that. I'm your anchor, Michael Popak, along with my regular anchor, Ben Mysalis, standing in for Karen Friedman Ignifolo, who's on assignment for another edition of Legal AF Midweek, where we curate the most important legal and political issues at the midweek. Ben, how you doing? I'm doing good. You know, I'm in Manhattan right now. I'm 
here for Trump indictment watch. I feel like I have to be in Manhattan and just kind of an interesting uh, personal story about one of the topics that we're going to be covering today. So I was at a meeting and I started smelling smoke and I, I looked at the building next to me. The building next to me was like on fire and I was like, wow, you don't really see it that frequently here in, here in Manhattan like that. Um, and so I, I took some photographs of it as I left. There was a ton of fire uh, trucks, fire department trucks outside. And I had talked to my brothers in real time and I had said, hey, you know, there are these fire trucks and there's this fire in this building. You know, it was really weird, um, you know, and looked dangerous. And I said, don't worry, everything's OK here. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. And I sent him a photograph of it. Then I went back and I saw this story about the Bannon uh, backer, this Chinese billionaire who was arrested today. And when he was arrested shortly thereafter, I think not so coincidentally, uh, the place where he lived, he lived at this hotel. Um, that's what was burning. Um, and so apparently uh, the penthouse or, or whatever the floor was that he lived on um, coincidentally burned down and with the, with documents and things like that, which is being investigated, of course, as a suspicious fire, but just a, a, a strange coincidence that, that kind of all ties together that I, I was right there when that, when that happened. This is what we do on the Midas Touch Network. Ben Mysallers reporting from a flaming penthouse, burning documents in a Department of Justice fraud investigation. We go, we go the extra length. It's, it's, we, it's, we, 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 we absolutely do. But, you know, to kind of draw from that, things are heating up huh, in oh, yeah. Manhattan. And as things are heating up in Manhattan, I, let's just put it this way. I mean, the Trump lawyers are not ready for prime time. I mean, of course, Alina Haba and Christina Bob, and we, we know that crew. But, you know, the new lawyer, Joe Takapina, who's done this media tour, I called it a self-flagellation tour because it was just going around making one embarrassing appearance after the other, further incriminating Donald Trump. I'd love to hear your take yeah. about that in the defense. Yeah, let's talk about it because now they're trotting out. I think it's a self-immolation tour. I think he, he was completely it – was, it, I never saw a vivisection live where somebody was shown his own heart in George Stephanopoulos did an amazing job just by asking three simple questions that Joe Tacopina was totally flummoxed by, not prepared to answer. And when he did answer them, actually implicated his client in the criminal scheme for which he was the defense lawyer, which I don't the even most understand. Basic questions. Right. The most <laughs> so, so let me frame this just so we will. And then we'll back into the video, which is amazing. It just happened. We've got basically six or seven witnesses that have already testified in front of the grand jury since it was impaddled in Manhattan in January, looking at the Stormy Daniels hush money cover-up um, uh, in uh, crime related to Donald Trump. And the very, every prosecutor, including the ones that work with us on this show, like Karen, will tell you that the request to then have the actual target, Donald Trump, come in and testify, drop immunity and testify to the grand jury is basically the last step before the actual asking the jury to return an indictment. So that's where we are. Michael Cohen, three hours testified on Monday, your co-anchor on Political Beatdown. I'm sure he's spoken about that there. He went in for three hours and testified. Stormy Daniels has reported, I think we've got with our producer, we got a, a tweet uh, about it. Stormy Daniels confirms that she had met 
with the Manhattan prosecutors investigating the Trump hush money payments. I don't think she's going to go in. I don't think she needs to go in, but we know that she's also cooperating. Now, we have all of that done. We also have reporting that, and, and it, Joe Tacopina, they're putting him out front and center as the mouthpiece, as poorly as he's been doing. But he is not apparently the lead defense lawyer for Donald Trump in this criminal matter. It is instead Susan Necklace. Susan Necklace, you'll probably recall on Legal AF, because Ben and I talked about the fact that she was the lead defense lawyer against the same Manhattan DA's office. 17 times when the Trump companies got convicted of 17 counts of tax fraud. That Susan Necklace is the real person, the real defense lawyer, not the ones that are being played on TV by Alina Hava and Joe Tacopina. She's the one that has admitted that she's gone in already to speak to the Manhattan DA's office to try to convince them not to indict. Obviously, that's not going to happen. You know, she wasn't successful there. And I think they're bracing themselves in Trump world now for the indictment. So they're trotting out, Ben, all of these defenses. You have the Melania defense, which is, I wasn't doing it for a campaign violation or to, or to win the campaign. I did it because I didn't want my wife to find out about all of these women who claimed to have had sex with me. And so I paid them all off. That's the Melania defense. So that's one. And we'll talk about that when we show Joe Tacopina. Two is the um, extortion defense. That's what Joe Tacopina tried, that that people like Stormy Daniels is extorting Donald Trump and he is the victim and he only paid the 130 because he was extorted. So why is he being and then he slipped into uh, well, he, he is he, he is the defense lawyer. He said, why is my guy being prosecuted for being the victim? None of this is going to fly. But let's see how it came out in this garbled way by Joe Tacopina, who conceded that his, his client committed the crime. Let's roll that tape. This morning, uh, is the president going to go to the grand jury? Uh, we have no plans on, on participating in that proceeding. Um, it's a decision that needs to be made still. Um, there's been no deadline set, so we'll wait and see. But you have met, you and other attorneys have met with the prosecutors? Susan Nicholas um, is, is leading the charge in this case, terrific lawyer, um, and, and she's dealing with them, and she's met with the prosecutors, correct? So you expect an indictment? Uh, I expect justice to prevail, and if that's the case, George, there shouldn't be an indictment. I mean, this case is outrageous, really. There should be a healthy dose of disgust from the bar, the legal community, prosecutors, defense lawyers alike. Um, it's not what we do. This is not what we do. We are distorting laws to try and bag President Trump. I don't know what's supposed to be. He's leading all the polls. I don't know what it is, but clearly this prosecutor and this prosecutor's office has made an agenda of trying to get him. They've scoured his personal life and business life for seven years to try and find something. And this well, is this case is pretty well known, though, and there are three questions, simple yes-no questions mm. at the heart of the case. I want to put them up on the board right there. Number one, did Trump authorize the payment to Stormy Daniels? Number two, was the payment properly recorded? And number three, was it connected to the election? So let's take all three of them in turn. Number one, did Trump authorize the payment to Stormy Daniels? First of all, all we need to do is start and end with number three. Because it's not. Let's answer number one not, first. It's not directly related. Did Trump it's, authorize it's, the payment? It's not directly related. Did Trump authorize George, the payment? It's not directly related to the campaign. We'll, 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 it's regardless. We're going to get to that. Uh, uh, well, let's assume he did. For the argument, He's for this argument. Admitted let's that he did. So the answer assume, to that is yes. Let's assume he did. Okay. This was a plain extortion, and I don't know since when we've decided to start prosecuting extortion victims. Um, he's denied, vehemently denied this affair, but he had to pay money because there was going to be 
uh, an allegation that was going to be publicly embarrassing to him, regardless of the campaign. And the campaign finance laws are very, very clear, George, that you cannot have something that's even primarily related to the campaign to be considered okay, so, campaign so, But he did law. direct the payment be made. Number two, the second important question is, was it properly noted in the Trump Organization records, or was a false record made saying this was legal representation? There was absolutely no false records made. To my knowledge, there was no false records made. To your knowledge. Correct. So you're not sure. Well, I, I wasn't there at the time. Upright. It's a beast that doesn't roar. It's a workhorse you don't feed. It's not just electric. It's all new Cub Cadet Electric, designed for those who love to lawn. Up right there. All right, Ben. You've got the lawyer who just admitted that his client made the payment and he can't vouch for the weather. It was a fraudulent entry in the books and records, a crime in New York because he, quote unquote, wasn't there. What do you think about this defense so far? Well, I think he just admitted to the crime, number one. I mean, I guess to his credit, if you want to call it that, so far he only admitted to the misdemeanor. Um, the only part that he hasn't admitted to yet is the felony, which is in connection with or related to the election, which brings it from a misdemeanor to a felony. And everyone says it's going to be charged as a felony. And all you need to know is the proximity of when it was made right before the 2016 election, which is proof that it was in connection with the election. That's why it was made. At that but time. one thing I want to ask your opinion, because you and I haven't talked about it. I talked about it with Karen. The press automatically goes to the, that the second crime has to be ele uh, related to the election. And, of course, the defense has taken the bait. But that's not what the statute says. What the statute says is the entry, the false entry in the books and records has to be in furtherance of a second crime or related to a second crime. I can think of a lot of second crimes that are related to the election. We have one of or that are, but are already proven. Michael Cohen's conviction related to the federal election crime. That's one. Money laundering, the way it was recorded on the books, the tax break that they got as a result of listing it as legal expenses when it wasn't. That's tax evasion. That's money laundering. That's federal election crime. I'm not sure. I know George Stephanopoulos. He's very good at what he does. I'm not sure that number three has to be that number three. What do you think about that? I think it's a great point, actually, because in connection with election assumes that the third crime or that the subsequent crime that would turn it into a felony is a campaign finance violation and a state campaign finance violation at that. But you're right. All it has to do is be relating to actually another crime. And you're right. There are multiple other crimes that Donald Trump certainly has engaged in, which kind of goes to my broader theory, though, is that I've always thought at Alvin Bragg, and, and we've talked about this on, on our other legal AFs, was taking this in steps. First, you go after the Trump organization, you succeed there, you basically get your single. Then you file this one, where I think the maximum prison sentence is about four years. You know, likely you would get less time, but nonetheless, I mean, Donald Trump would be facing jail time. You know, I, I think by the time you got to sentencing, you'd be looking at a year, a year and a half of, of hard time at, at Rikers when all is said and done, which I think is a good thing. But then I think there is still the broader case, the civil version of that case is being pursued by New York Attorney General Letitia James. That's set to go to trial for money damages 
for at least $250 million uh, against Donald Trump, his adult children, and the Trump Organization. That's set for trial October 2nd of 2023. It'd also be an injunction there, which would basically shut down the Trump Organization effectively from ever doing business again in New York, or at least for a very, very, very long period of time. But I always thought and Alvin Bragg said this, that's why it's not like we speculate here, that he's still investigating the criminal conduct relating to that. And what he can file once he files this is what's called the superseding indictment. And I do think at some point in time you will see a superseding indictment with those other charges brought. And this is kind of just another step. So I, I, I think your point is astute and accurate. And I think the broader issue, though, of all those other crimes that you that you talk about, too, actually could relate to a superseding indictment later about other crimes that I think are also going to be pursued. Yeah, I think you're so right about that. Now, let's blow up you and me, one of their new defenses, which is that this this guy was extorted by Stormy Daniels, as opposed to it being the way we've reported it which is accurate based on the facts that have already been adduced both in Michael Cohen's prosecution and otherwise. And the timeline is that Donald Trump used the National Enquirer and its publisher to operate a catch and kill program to find um, people out there who, with whom he had sex who would come forward and embarrass him during the campaign and pay them money to either to buy their story from them, have them sign an NDA, a non-disclosure and confidentiality agreement, and then kill the story. And so that is that went on because it didn't just go on with Stormy Daniels for a very similar amount of money. And when I was Susan McDougal, a playboy, a playmate who also similarly claimed that she had sex with Donald Trump, maybe one time like Stormy Daniels, and for which she was paid $150,000 direct from the, from the publisher of the National Enquirer, a friend of Donald Trump's. The only difference here is that instead of paying National Enquirer directly to Stormy Daniels, they used an intermediary in Michael Cohen, the fixer at the time, the in-house person at the time for Donald Trump, who coordinated it with Stormy's lawyer and made the payment that way. But they had to set up a, you know, they have to find ways to make Trump have his fingerprints on this from a criminality standpoint. And what I want to do now and put it in front of you, Ben, is put two things back to back. One of them is Donald Trump's tweeting war with Stormy Daniels. And then we're going to play a secretly recorded audio tape uh, involving Michael Cohen, which kind of blows the doors out of all these defenses. Can we put up the, uh, the tweet first? So here's Donald Trump trotting out recently a defense. And he says, with respect to the stormy nonsense, it, it's very old and it happened a long time ago. And then he mentioned statute of limitations, which he's totally wrong on. That's not a defense here. I placed full reliance on the judgment spelled wrong, British style with an E in the middle, and advice of counsel also spelled wrong who I had every reason to believe had a license to practice law, was competent, and was able to appropriately provide solid legal services. He came from a good law firm, represented other clients over the years, and there was no reason not to rely on him, and I did. So he's trying to set up, even with his poor spelling, a reliance on counsel. I assume Michael Cohen is being referenced there. The problem is he was also secretly recorded um, interacting with Michael Cohen, in tapes that were ultimately seized by the FBI in that prosecution and that have been played already on CNN, but it, let, let's bring it forward and let me set the stage. This is Michael Cohen 
secretly tape recording Donald Trump about setting up a secret company in order to make payments like the one to Susan McDougal and ultimately to Stormy Daniel through Alan Weisselberg's knowledge, the CFO who's sitting at Rikers for the next four and a half months, all in one package in one two-minute clip. Let's roll the tape. I need to open up a company for the transfer of all of that info regarding our friend David, you know, so that I'm going to do that right away. I've actually come up and I've spoken to me, and I've spoken to Alan Weisselberg about how to set the whole thing up uh, with funding. That, uh, yes, um, and it's all the stuff, all the stuff, because you know you never know where that company, you never know what he's going to be. Correct. So I'm I'm all over that. And I spoke to Alan about it when it comes time for the financing, which will be. Listen, what financing? We'll have to pay you. So no, 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 no. I got no, no, no. Hey, no. How are you? Let's break that down. Donald Trump is telling Michael Cohen that that he acknowledges that payments have to be made through David, who's David Picard at the National Enquirer, through the hands of Alan Weisselberg, his CFO. And um, and the Donald Trump's suggestion and agreement is tacit agreement, expressed agreement to make these payments, to pay off people like McDougal and ultimately Stormy Daniels is let's do it in cash. So there's no record. And Michael Cohen says to him, no, 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 not cash. Can't do it by cash. And we know what happened ultimately with the Stormy Daniels is that Michael Cohen, out of his own bank account, stroked a check for $130,000, not because out of mag his own magnanimous heart. It's because he knew he was going to get reimbursed by his client, Donald Trump, and he did, except when he got reimbursed, and here's the false record, it was recorded by Alan Weisselberg and the controller on the official books and records of Trump Organization as a legal retainer for, for Michael Cohen. He also got another few hundred thousand dollars on top of that for pulling this for pulling this off. What do you think about Michael Cohen recording Donald Trump and the conversation about cash, setting up the company, Alan Weisselberg and David Picard, all in one audio package? Well, it's incredibly incriminating, and it sounds like Donald Trump has done it over and over and over again where he was like oh, just 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 do the cash just pay the cash but that's something that the grand jury is listening to and frankly donald trump's posts the way you just use that as evidence it's actually something the grand jury may have seen as well like donald trump is doing himself no favors and this is a good thing keep on posting on social media keep having your horrible lawyers go do interviews because you're just creating an evidence trail that is deeper and deeper and deeper. You know, the strange thing about it, though, is, you know, you go back to some previous um, major kind of criminal prosecutions and, you know, people have to find the smoking gun, right? It's like, where's that one email or where's that one handwritten note? The reality is when it comes to Donald Trump, it is right there in the open. I mean, he, he says all of these things publicly and all the evidence is right there. I think what sets this unique time in history apart from other times in history, though, is even though it's right there, you sadly have a major political party that has been infiltrated by Trumpism. It's become a cult and 25% of the population looks at horrific, heinous, traitorous, criminal conduct, then they go, yeah, we like that. We're cool with that. Cool. Let's do it. And it's disgusting. But it's right. It's 
it, it is it is so shockingly right there in front of our faces the crimes that he committed, which is why, though, and here's a great point when you go talk about that Takapina interview, because Trump is the cult leader there, Trump can maneuver in the cult because the reality is, if that was one, Trump wouldn't do that Stephanopoulos interview. But assuming Trump did do the Stephanopoulos interview and he was asked those questions, he would just go something like, George, shut up, George. You, you are a liar. You are fake news. Shut up, right? That's what he would do. He wouldn't even address the questions. But Takapina has to address the questions the same way when you're in a court forum, you have to address evidence and facts. And you can't do what you get away with on Fox propaganda. So you put Takapina into a place with Stephanopoulos, who asks very basic questions. <laughs> he looked flat-footed on the most basic of questions. The only person who looked more flat-footed, I don't know if you saw this, Popak, the, the, the woman, <laughs> no, not, not Hobby, oh. yes, but the MAGA Republican who writes in the New York Post, I think her name is Bethany Mandel, and she's like one of the main people who talk about woke. She writes a chapter on this is woke and that's woke. And she was on a, a news network and she was asked, hey, do you know what? Can you just define what woke is? It's the only person who looked more flat, but here, just watch this. Popeye. It's unrelated sure. to law, but I got to show okay. this to you. Let's see it. And Americans consider themselves very liberal and probably fewer of them consider themselves to be woke. And so, you know, when, when well, we talk about traditional you? Could, would you mind defining woke? Because it's come up a couple of times. And I just want to make sure we're on the same page. So, I mean, woke is sort of the idea that um, I, this is going to be one of those moments that goes viral. I mean, woke is something that's very hard to define, and we've spent an entire chapter defining it. It is sort of the understanding that we need to re -to totally reimagine and re re redo society in order to create hierarchies of oppression um sorry i it's it's hard to explain in a 15 second soundbite yeah look your it, time. oh my god well so that, i i i felt bad for her and i don't even and i don't even like her writing but let me ask I you i would <laughs> feel bad normally <laughs> I, anyone who's in that position i truly empathize because look can happen to anybody sometimes. You just lose your thought process. I get yeah. it. But that's not what happened there. She's weaponized a word to victimize people and to destroy people's lives. And it was the biggest song. But anyway, let's but, go back but, to the but, legal. But, but, I to, but I want to ask you a question. Because we do this for a living too. Joe Takapina doesn't have to go on George Stephanopoulos' show. Alina Haba doesn't have to go on CNN. They could lay low, let Susan Necklace do her whatever her work is as the real criminal defense lawyer in this particular case for Donald Trump. I have a working theory. Why is the Trump camp trotting these people out on these shows, trying out these themes? Why, why do you think? I have a theory. I think they perform for Donald Trump. They have an audience of one. Yeah. I think that they know he watches these shows. And I think that they go in like if you noticed, Takapina went in with a plan, which is he only wanted to talk about element three. Right. And similarly, the the MAGA Republican lady who spoke about woke, they go in with the preconceived plan. And because the media is so broken, they get away with it a lot. Right. 
but you just get it. in both of those situations the question was fairly basic and fairly open-ended like just tell me about element one i don't want to tell you about element one we'll go to element three it's like no just just can you tell us about element one well he's only fun. prepped for element three well well you're right about you're right about that it's performative in that i've got to show cult leader that i'm a tough guy so that he uses me again or to to feed his ego i also think and this is related that it is a part of the Trump campaign for re-election, right? He wants these people to go on because he's, he's not, he, whether he gets indicted or doesn't get indicted, he doesn't think any of this matters to that, but he's trying to win the Iowa caucus. He's trying to win this or that, and, the, and he feels he has to push back against these narratives, these criminal indictment narratives, which are soon going to be more than narratives. If we're right, they're going to be actual indictments that he's going to have to deal with. But I think it's that also. He, he's basically he, he doesn't feel because he can't he he can't he has to chase every shiny object. He can't let it sit. If he was just citizen Trump worrying about criminal jeopardy in his in his liberty, and he was normal, he would not. This would not be happening. This is because he's candidate Trump all the time, and he wants these people to go on there and and shill for him as a candidate. So. Um, we got Mike. So let's let's get down to what everybody wants, because Monday, Michael Cohen, I assume he's done three hours of testimony. Any indication that he needs to go back or he's done? Um, so he went Monday. He went Wednesday. So he You're did right. twice. And I think Wednesday he's he's done. And in full disclosure, I haven't heard from him. I haven't heard from him yet. And so I don't know. But we'll have it. Well, we'll be doing a political beatdown tomorrow where I'll talk about as much as. Right. As much as he can so talk about. So he's done. As of let's say he's done as of today, as of Wednesday. And so let's assume Michael Cohen was the last witness. It's very difficult to follow Michael Cohen. You wouldn't follow a Michael Cohen. They've already checked the box at the Manhattan DA's office in speaking with and giving Donald Trump an opportunity to testify. He's already indicated he will not, no surprise, drop his immunity and testify. And they've spoken to Susan Necklace, his lawyer, uh, assumed to try to convince them not to indict. The Ides of March are the 15th of March, uh, and there's been a rumor that that would be when the indictment would come. Um, a, how confident are you, Ben, that there is going to be an indictment of Donald Trump off of this grand jury based on what we've just dis discussed on this show and other shows, and when do you think the indictment will be? I will not say 100% purely because... I always want to carve out at least that 1% or 2%. But I'll say this, and I would rarely make such a prediction. I am 98% confident that there will be an indictment soon. Um, there will be an indictment. My prediction at this point will be next week. I predict by this time next week that Donald Trump will be criminally indicted and, 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 and charged. So I think that will happen. I think it will definitely happen in March. My previous predictions, if you go back, I had said that I thought the Manhattan District Attorney would be the first to indict. So I would say that I feel like that was going against conventional wisdom, and it was a very unpopular opinion to hold when I held it. Um, we've been following the data, though. I think I think by next week, um, Donald Trump will be indicted uh, at least by the end of this month. Okay. Let's move on to another Trump event, this time a civil rape and defamation case that is going to trial in less than three weeks. There's no stop in this locomotive. It's being driven by 
Southern District of New York Federal Judge Lewis Kaplan. He's already made his rulings on the motions in limine pre-trial, meaning the evidence that he was going to allow in. It's all gone terribly and horribly against Donald Trump and for democracy and for justice in the sense of what is going to be able to be presented by the lawyers. There's no stopping the jury selection. It's going to happen within the next several weeks. Now, it looks like Joe Tacopina, the same guy who, frankly, based on reporting, I was sort of worried about in terms of, oh, this could be like a legitimate guy. He's got a track record. He's done well in courtrooms around the country. But he's obviously not ready for prime time when it comes to Donald Trump and representing that particular client, maybe because he criticized Donald Trump when he wasn't representing him um, in the past and um, uh, criticized him pretty hard in the, in the public. So whether it's Joe Tacopina and or Alina Hava, hard to believe she would still be involved in the case. But the problem I have with Joe Tacopina is now watching him in action. <clears throat> it's a terrible set of optics for him to be cross-examining E. Jean Carroll. It's just a mismatch, which in front of the jury could really blow up in the face of the defense. He's just too much of a pit bull. He's too much of a bulldog. He doesn't have a light touch. And, he, and here you're dealing with a woman in her 70s or late 70s who claims that she was sexually assaulted by the president and has been a very consistent um, and all of her story has tracked every time that she's told it, which is usually an indication that it is true. And now the latest bombshell brought by not the lawyers for E. Jean Carroll, but by the judge. The judge over the weekend issued an order, and we have it, it's only a half a paragraph long, in which the judge on his own issued an order to show cause for both parties to tell him why an anonymous jury should not be used. And I did a hot take on the anonymous jury process, which has been used since the 70s and 80s, almost exclusively in criminal cases, generally criminal cases in which the defendant is a terrorist, a drug kingpin, a mafioso, um, a you know, uh, the Unabomber, the World Trade Center bomber, somebody who is, um, uh, who is uh, the threat of bribery is ever present, of jurors and the like, Don, uh, the Teflon Don, Don Gotti, John Gotti, um, he had an anonymous jury. The uh, judges have the power under, under a federal statute, where appropriate, to tell the jury up front and the media, we're not going to disclose anything about your identity, your jury questionnaire. This is for your safety and your protection. And he wants to hear from defense and the, and the plaintiff's uh, lawyers about, what do you think about my idea? It's a great idea, right? Now, look, if I'm Robbie Kaplan and I'm the lawyer for E. Jean Carroll, which he is, I would say, Your Honor, that sounds good to us. Whatever you think is proper to run this, the administration of justice in your courtroom, we're in favor of it. Because it automatically tags the defendant, Donald Trump, with the terrorist, mafia, uh, drug lord, you know, imprimatur, you know, the, the halo effect, the, the devil effect over him before he even steps into the courtroom. What do you think the defense is going to do this week when they have to say whether the jury should be anonymous or not? They're definitely going to object to the jury being anonymous. I could pretty much, uh, I, I will put less odds on that than the odds of Trump being indicted, but I will say the, the, uh, 
there's good money on the fact that they will absolutely object to that. And by the way, one of the reasons that they'll object to that, though, too, is that they do want to cause a certain amount, I think, of jury intimidation. And I think they do want to try to cause anything that could derail this, anything that could cause a mistrial, anything that could, you know, you know, put this thing off track they want to do. Now, one of the things I'll also say, though, about Takapina, though, now seeing him in action, who knows what this guy's going to do? This guy's an idiot. Like, I, I, and, and by the way, I didn't know how much of an idiot was until he started speaking. I, I heard mixed things about him in the legal community. There were some people who said, you know, hey, he's good. He represented, you know, Meek Mills or whatever and did a good job there. I've heard real trial lawyers who have said, no, the guy's a clown. He's always been a clown. Um, but I'm kind of reminded of the Mark Twain quote, right, that it's better to keep your mouth shut and appear stupid than open it and remove all doubt. That's kind of how I feel about Takapina, you know, or another quote about speaking softly and carrying a big stick. Like good trial lawyers don't need to act like that. Like that's that 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 shtick is cartoonish and weird. And the fact that he even thinks he has to go there and do that just shows to me that his judgment's impaired. So honestly, I I I, I thought though that with his entry into this case, I thought that um, Roberta Kaplan, Eugene Carroll's lawyer, was going to at least have a formidable opponent. Um, and actually, now I think, as much as I think Haba is a horrible lawyer. I think Haba would probably be a better, this is, you know, and I'm, and I said Haba's like the worst lawyer. Haba may actually strategically be a better choice than this guy. I mean, this guy is the worst person for this type of case yeah, in that jury. I agree. That's the mismatch that I. He's going to have to solve. I don't know if he has a female partner or associate in his office that he, that can help him do the cross examination of E. Jean Carroll. But if he, this is this is brain surgery for the defense. And um, he will screw it up. If this is his demeanor and his approach to being a defense lawyer, that may work in some, you know, rapper, athlete, you know, world. This is not going to work with, with E. Jean Carroll, former gossip columnist for Elle magazine, who's pushing 80 years old and has a very authentic and truthful story to tell in a court of law that's been consistent from day one. Let me just throw one interesting piece about anonymity of juries when I was doing my research for the hot take that I found very interesting. And I, I don't even, I don't think you know this one. Do you know what happened with the John Gotti anonymous jury? No, what happens? Well, one of the reasons that the press fights back against anonymity is because they feel they have a job to do as well, which is sort of investigating, you know, some of the jurors to make sure they're on the up and up. And they say, we don't have a runaway jury situation where somebody tries to get on there on purpose in order to throw the jury. And, you know, there is a transparency issue there that goes away if, if they're anonymous. Well, the John Gotti, the Teflon Don, the original Teflon Don <clears throat> trials in the 90s in New York were done anonymously. What they didn't know and the press couldn't figure it out because they didn't know who the jury was, is that one of the jurors was tied to an, the uh, Irish uh, organized crime and um, was a member of it, and at some point, using the cover of anonymity, reached out to the Gotti family and actually took a bribe, and that trial went for John Gotti because of the cover of anonymity. So we don't want that to happen, and I don't think that's what Lewis Kaplan is worried about. What Lewis, the judge, is worried about, obviously, and you and I have reported on it extensively on this network, is that Donald Trump, 
has a history noted by the Jan 6 committee and others of trying to interfere with, influence, and tamper with witnesses. And, uh, the, and that is not that hard to do, to cross that over to jury tampering. And, and the judge, you know, he knows who he's dealing with. And so he's worried <clears throat> that the MAGA supporters of Donald Trump, once they get the names of the jurors, will dox them and worse, swat them and worse, and put their lives in danger because they're performing their civic and constitutional duty of being a juror in a civil case. And so um, I, I agree with you. The defense is going to object to it because it stigmatizes their client from day one before he even takes his seat in the, in the courtroom. And by the way, for those that have asked, Donald Trump is a defendant in a civil case. He can't phone this in. He can't send a representative. He has to sit in the courtroom. I mean, I'm not aware of a ex-president, maybe candidate Trump exception to this rule, Ben. He's going to have to sit in that courtroom next to his lawyers at the defense table every day and stand up when the jury comes into the room and stand up when the judge comes into the room, just like any other defendant in a case, period. So they're going to fight that they don't want him stigmatized because the jury is going to plant in the jury's mind, bad guy, bad guy, bad case, and I need, to, I need protection. And, uh, but at the end of the day, what do you think? you think it's going to be an anonymous jury? Um, no. Um, I, I think ultimately there'll be objections to it. And then, you know, I think someone's going to object to it. And I think uh, for the sake of the record, there will be uh, an admonition um, that will then be, you know, a statement, something like any type of effort to threaten will be subject to contempt. I just think that Judge Kaplan, I could be wrong about this, is kind of setting up a two-step here, figuring both with the media and with, um, you know, Trump's lawyers to basically put it out there, see, kind of use it as bait to see what the response is going to be. He didn't say for sure he's going to have it. He wants an order to show cause why one shouldn't be. And then to basically say, look, I issued this order to show cause, and now violations will be subject to contempt. Um, it's a way of, I think, just him asserting control uh, over his court. And you raise a great point there as well, just the optics of Donald Trump showing up in that courtroom. I wonder if he will, though, show up every single day. I mean, you know, it's not a criminal case, right, where he like kind of has to be there. So there is a world where he just says, I'm not going to be there. But how does the jury feel if he doesn't show up every single day? And if he's not there during jury selection, you and I would never have a situation where we're okay with the client not being at their own civil trial every single day. But I just can't imagine a scenario, though, where Trump will sit there literally every single day and do nothing but sit there. I, I, I could be wrong about that. I, um, I, I agree. I agree with you. But this is what they're going to have to do, because you and I have done it with regular everyday witnesses and, and defendants. You have to explain it to the jury, mm -hmm. which means the days that he's not there, the, the judge, either with some thing that they've all approved when when the jury's not around to read, is going to have to do something to tell the jury. But the, the read to the jury is going to be, Donald Trump doesn't give a shit about this case. Yep. Um, and it's only going to it's it's only going to help the plaintiff the days yep. that Donald Trump isn't present. Right. 
There's no doubt about it. One other thing I wanted to mention, though, about Takapina, because you hit on it before. I just this whole episode is why Takapina is, you know, you know, an idiot and potentially very unethical too. Because Takapina, and you did a hot take on this before as well. Takapina took a position previously that was against Donald Trump when he represented an insurrectionist, Julian Cotter. He represented the insurrectionist who assaulted and killed. Uh, officer Sicknick, the Capitol Police officer, during the January 6th insurrection, and basically in the sentencing memorandum, called out Trump. Trump's own lawyer calling out Trump here. Um, and uh, here we have him, he, he, he says, a climate of mass hysteria, this is what Joe Takapina says, a climate of mass hysteria fueled by the dissemination of misinformation about the 2020 election originating at the highest level gave rise to the visceral powder keg waiting to ignite. And that is precisely what occurred. So that's one touch point of him calling Donald Trump. And also, and doing some research on Takapina, you know, he represented Bernard Carrick, the disgraced New York police commissioner who's very close to Donald Trump and also worked with Trump to try to uh, stop a free and fair election. But Takapina represented Carrick and they got into a lawsuit against each other where Carrick accused Takapina of affairs, drug abuse, and racketeering. And Bernie Carrick upped the ante, it says, in his, le in his latest legal fight, accusing his ex-buddy Joe Takapina in new legal papers of extramarital affairs with TV stars, prescription drug abuse, and even racketeering. So just two touch points that we can go into. Well, wait, wait, wait. You got, we got one more. This is like dueling banjos, Takapina style. We got one more. Ben, remember, and we'll have Salty find it, remember that before he was involved with this case, representing Donald Trump against E. Jean Carroll, he was on uh, CNN or one of them, and he took a pot shot at Donald Trump, calling him the defamer-in-chief, Related to E. Jean Carroll. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that one. Right. And so yeah. I did a hot take on it. We'll, we'll show, we'll let Salty and we'll Salty find it, put it up there for us. Uh, and this is before he got hired. So it, this is the bad news bears of legal defense teams so far. Um, you know, he's mixing and Matt, Donald Trump is mixing and matching his lawyers. He's putting some out in front in the media. He's putting some behind the scenes. Joe Takapina can't figure out whether he is the lead defense lawyer in the E. Jean Carroll case or, or Haba is. You know, uh, uh, Robbie Kaplan, the lawyer for E. Jean Carroll, called out and told the judge that Alina Haba told her she was leaving as lead counsel. And then, and then Haba said, no, I'm not. And then only Haba filed the motion to exclude the two other women who were sexually assaulted or claimed they were and the Access Hollywood tape. And Takapina's name wasn't on it. I mean, this whole thing is an utter and complete uh, uh, mess. And they better get their act together, although I don't think they will, in time for this trial, which is like in, in two and a half weeks. So um, moving on from uh, a civil case, a criminal case involving Donald Trump, we've got another potential criminal case that hasn't gotten that much attention yet because of all the Jack Smith grand juries that are still, um, still in motion, still in play. <clears throat> Pardon me. We have reporting from The Guardian in the UK, <clears throat> based on a whistleblower um, who was a co-founder of the uh, Truth Social Media entity that uh, Trump uses to own Truth Social. There is, from a whistleblower who was a co-founder of the media empire that Trump owns, this Truth Social that has 
his uh, social media platform within it, um, that there was a huge shortfall of capital within the um, company while they awaited the merger, which has been held up by the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, with a SPAC, a special purpose acquisition company, a soon-to-be-publicly-traded company that has no assets, whose only purpose is to acquire another company and therefore take it public, something the SEC has, has hated and cracked down on, all of these SPACs. And, and one of the crimes that's being investigated by the U.S. Attorney's Office, the Southern District of New York, along with the SEC Criminal Division, is whether the SPAC entity, what's called the SPAC sponsor, um, DW, DWAC, was already coordinating with the acquisition target, Trump's company, before it sold its shares to investors. That is a huge no-no in the SPAC world. The SPAC vehicle, taking in its investments, can't know what its target acquisition is because then you're basically just getting around all the SEC regulations on taking a company public. They have one year to two years to go out and find a target, and then the investors, after they see who gets acquired, can decide whether they want their money back or not. But you, you can't have coordination. That's a criminal, a criminal act, and they are investigating whether Donald Trump and his entity coordinated improperly and illegally with the SPAC sponsor, the acquisition vehicle. That's the nature of it. So the whistleblower came forward and said, at a moment last year when the Trump entity needed cash because it didn't have any access to the SPAC money. Midas Touch contents on YouTube. Thanks for 75,000 views or listens, audience. And let's see what we have here. Last warning. If you do not get your $21,900 in health benefits this week, pay close attention because you might miss out on one of the biggest health insurance benefits of the year. Americans under 65 and are not on Medicaid are getting a once-in-a-lifetime chance to get up to $21,900 to pay for the cost of everyday health expenses. Qualified American... I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network as the Manhattan District Attorney moves ever closer to criminally indicting Donald Trump. Donald Trump is on his social media platform just saying some of the most disgusting and vile things. He's at it again. He posted on his social media platform more posts that look like witness intimidation of Stormy Daniels, who we continually and misogynistically refers to over and over again as horse face. Let me horse read you, face. Uh, Get it? the most recent post that he made. And then following this post, he then starts posting about golf and golf balls and says, leave the golf balls alone. I mean, it's truly a situation where we have a completely deranged madman. And yet, he is leading a cult that is the MAGA Republican Party. He is who the Republican Party looks to as a leader. Someone who says this. I did nothing, in caps, wrong in the, quote, horse face case. I see she showed up in New York today trying to drum up some publicity for herself. 
I haven't seen or spoken to her since I took a picture with her on a golf course in full golf gear, including a hat, close to 18 years ago. She knows nothing about me other than her con man lawyer Avenatti and convicted liar and felon jailbird Michael Cohen may have schemed up. Never had an affair with her. Just another false accusation by a sleazebag witch hunt. You know, I feel very strongly that this post constitutes another crime of witness intimidation. I mean, referring to Stormy Daniels in connection with her appearance before a criminal grand jury where she was subpoenaed and calling her a horse face, saying that she went there to drum up and calling her a sleazebag, saying that in general is completely vile. But saying it also in connection with her appearance before a criminal grand jury that is investigating his crimes, I believe is criminal, and I believe it is a charge that Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg should charge him with. And when you look at this, what Donald Trump's argument is, what he and his lawyers have been saying their defenses, is that there was no affair, and here in this post he's saying that there was not even any sexual intercourse that took place, or as I've said before, the 1.5 seconds of sex that he uh, evidently had. Here he's saying all he did was take a photograph with her, which basically means that one of the ways that you will be able to impeach him, and this is one of the things that he is opening the door to, is that by claiming that no sex occurred, he will open the door in the criminal trial to, in ver to very excruciating detail Stormy Daniels talking about the sex, talking about his very tiny penis, talking about what a disgusting individual he is, that will necessarily have to come out um, to further identify that Donald Trump is a complete and utter liar. And by the way, this evidence as well could be used in other cases against Donald Trump to just show that he's a liar. Like, I can see this post, for example, being used in the... For example, I bet you E. Jean Carroll's lawyer in the civil rape trial and defamation trial currently in federal court in the Southern District of New York that's set to go to trial in April will show these messages to Donald Trump because what we saw E. Jean Carroll's lawyer do in the deposition of Donald Trump is show him all these other statements that he's made where he's called climate change a hoax and he's called the 2020 election a hoax. And she said, look, all of these things that are real, that are inconvenient to you, you call a hoax, and you're also calling E. Jean Carroll's allegations a hoax. So add to that now Donald Trump saying that Stormy Daniels is another hoax, and that they never even had sex. So it's very possible E. Jean Carroll's lawyer brings this up. Imagine being Donald Trump's lawyer. I would never, ever, ever want to imagine that, but we don't need to imagine it. We've seen Joe Takapina, his new lawyer, as I called it, go on a self flagellation tour and just look utterly ridiculous when asked the most basic questions. He was like, oh, you have the paper out of R.B. Melber's hands? Or, uh, 
Haba, Alina Haba. I mean, what in the world is going on there? But look, this is what Donald Trump's argument is. I took a picture with her on a golf course in full golf gear, including a hat. I, I guess that's his way of saying he wasn't naked. I mean, is, is that what he said? Close to 18 years ago. And then he's accusing Avenatti and Cohen of, of, of cheating. Part of his uh, accusation they schemed up, never had an affair with her, just another false accusation by a sleazebag. I mean, when the media tries to normalize this behavior and they cover his events like he's such some normal candidate. It aggravates me to no end because this is a sick, sadistic, maniac, malignant narcissist. This is a foolish, vile, and deranged person. Like, as despicable of a human being as you can be. You know, Ben, you're going too far. No, I'm not. Who calls? Who uses this horse face sleazebag, someone who appeared before a criminal grand jury and then accused Stormy Daniels of showing up to drum up publicity. She was subpoenaed to speak before the criminal grand jury that is criminally investigating. By the way, I wouldn't be surprised if perhaps Alvin Bragg is showing these posts to the criminal grand jury in real time and saying, look at what he's writing right now. Look at what the individual is saying. You heard from Stormy Daniels. Stormy. Have you seen these posts that he's making? And how do you respond to these posts that he's making? Think about that. And think about that that's actually what is going to happen at the criminal trial against Donald Trump. And then so right after posting that, here's what Donald Trump says. He goes, here we go again with the USGA wanting to cut the distance out of a golf ball. Remember, you still have to chip, putt, and do everything else. They really have bigger problems like live. People want to feel and watch the long ball. Also, they want to see the great players hit home runs, not singles and doubles. Length is important for entertainment value. Leave the golf ball alone. Balls will be mixed for years to come. What a mess. Also, allow long putters and ball drops from past heights. It's like a completely deranged statement right here. Leave the golf ball alone, in caps, after calling a witness who just testified before a criminal grand jury horse face and sleaze bag and accusing her of seeking out publicity when she was subpoenaed to speak before a criminal grand jury. And then over here, um, supporting Liv, the Saudi Arabian-backed golf tournament because they um, pay you money to play at your golf course and, and, and saying the, the USGA should worry about Liv golf. Are you absolutely kidding me, folks? This isn't normal. I refuse to be gaslit by anyone who tries to normalize this behavior. And that is the modern-day MAGA Republican Party. That is who the Republican Party is in 2023. Enough is enough. This is disgusting conduct. I am glad that Donald Trump will soon be criminally indicted, which he absolutely deserves. I am frankly just disgusted, disgusted, every American should be. It's embarrassing, it's humiliating to our country, and it should be humiliating to the Republican Party. But in 2023, the Republican Party has no shame.
I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 1 million subscribers in March. We are marching to 1 million subscribers thanks to your incredible support. So please hit subscribe. It's free to subscribe on our YouTube channel. Help us get subscribers. Hit subscribe. Also, wherever you get your audio podcast, just search Midas Touch Podcast and subscribe. Free as well. Free, free, free. So subscribe uh, and check us out wherever you get your audio. Thank you so much. Till next time, I'm Ben Marcellus. Love this video? Then you'll love the Midas Touch podcast. Listen as my brothers and I break down the latest news and chat with top political leaders on the fastest growing pro-democracy podcast in the world. New episodes drop every Tuesday and Friday. Add the Midas Touch podcast right now wherever you listen to your podcast. Celebrate your home with Lamps Plus. Home is your ultimate comfort zone, a place where you can be truly you. And during our half-price gazing sale, you can save up to 50% off. With the nation's best selection of lighting, ceiling fans, and more, Lamps Plus can help make your house a home with a flip of a switch. Shop the Lamps Plus half-price gazing sale. And let yourself shine. If you're tired of paying electricity bills month after month that keep increasing with no end in sight, the answer to your expensive electricity bills is going solar. When you go solar, you have endless renewable energy from your roof. Finally say goodbye to high electricity bills and become energy independent. People who go solar are saving 60, 70, and even 80% off their monthly power bill. And if that doesn't this. The cost to go solar has literally never been cheaper. The federal government has passed the Energy Policy Act, which gives yeah, energy yeah, yeah. access to thousands of dollars to invest in upgrading their President Biden took swift and decisive action following the failure of Silicon Valley Bank as Donald Trump's role, direct role, in removing key regulations that would have prevented this bank failure from happening has become exposed. And can we compare the calm, thoughtful, and decisive action of President Biden to these MAGA Republicans who just seem like they're actually trying to cause more economic devastation and blaming the bank failures Sabotage. on things like diversity and inclusion and wokeness. Like, it, it is terrorists. absolutely absurd. Also, Donald Trump has officially declined the Manhattan District Attorney's offer to appear before the criminal grand jury as more witnesses testify before the criminal grand jury, including Michael Cohen, who we were aware would be testifying uh, earlier today. Folks, indictments are imminent. So naturally, Donald Trump is responding by making videos of himself calling special counsel Jack Smith, not even the Manhattan District Attorney, calling Jack Smith again, mad dog psycho, and asking 
uh, Jack oh, Smith oh, to oh, go oh. after Obama and Biden. We will discuss. By the way, that's not the craziest video he made today. We'll go through all of those videos. Also, Ron DeSantis's presidential ambitions are off to a very rocky start as he fumbled like the easiest propaganda style interview by Fox. They literally gave him a softball interview. They had him throwing a softball. <laughs> he is not ready for prime time, to say the least. And also, the Department of Justice is calling out Tucker Carlson for giving selectively edited clips on his program. And the DOJ is doing that in a recent federal court filing in Washington, D.C. We will discuss this and... I am Ben Micellis. I'm traveling today with Brett and Jordy Micellis. Jordy rocking the Midas Touch hat. Brett, how are you? Got a lot. Ben, I love that you just never miss a day, though. Travel, don't skip a beat, right to work for the Midas Mighty. Got to appreciate that sort of level of dedication. Man, it really seems like these Republicans, man, are like, I know they've lost it. I know that's already been a thing that's happened for a long time now, but... You see it then go extra chaotic at the moment as indictments get closer and closer. And this could very well, folks, be indictment week. It's not out of the realm of possibility that there is an indictment this week. So, you know, we will be watching to see what happens, whether it's this week or next week. We will see Donald Trump denying, declining to speak with the Manhattan prosecutor, with the grand jury. Big, big, big developments out of New York. And you just see that this, the Republican bench, you guys, like they were hailing DeSantis as this sort of savior of the party. These people are not ready for the prime time. These people are in their own little bubbles. And once they escape them, they fall flat on their face every single time. Once people see them, they're like, oh, they're repulsed. I don't want anything to do with it. But we're going to dig into all that and more. Jordy, how you doing? I had a great time with you at the house. It was great seeing you with you, great hanging with you in person. How does it feel to be back in Pennsylvania? Big bro, it was great. It was great seeing the big brothers out in L.A. That was awesome. Got to stay with Brett. You know, I'm, I'm not over... I'm not over Brett being gone, so I, in honor of me staying with Brett, I changed my background today for all those watching him. Got, you got a nice image of Brett right there. Ben <laughs> is podcasting today from a closet, it looks like, so that's, of course, the his dedication. I know how embarrassing. I'm wearing the same outfit. I'm wearing the same outfit as the photo now. Boy, this is, we this, did not plan this at all. This I'm very excited for today's show. By the way, Jordy, this isn't my closet. This is my hotel room. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not staying in a lavish hotel room. This is <laughs> this is where I stay when I travel. My bed is right over. I have a bed right here, and that's basically the that's basically the room, Jordy. But thank Don't you didn't hurt my worry. feelings. It's 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 totally okay. Um, and here's the thing, though, Brett. To your point about these MAGA Republicans just being repellent to Americans once they actually start to speak. That's the thing we've always been talking about. Like, Americans want normalcy. Americans want compassion. Americans want decency. We don't like seeing people get bullied. We don't like seeing people spreading hate. We don't like seeing people spreading conspiracy theories, by and large. And yes, there is now 20 to 25% of the American population that's in this MAGA Republican echo chamber, and they are fueled by hate. But by and large, there is this exhausted majority who is 
really, really, really just sick and tired and no longer exhausted, tired, but ready to make sure the pro-democracy coalition continues to win elections and just saying enough of this. Like, did you see over the weekend, like Paul Gosar being asked questions about uh, on right wing propaganda TV, Gosar was asked, so do you think that the January 6th committee members are going to get arrested? Like, are you going to recommend that? Like the fact that that's even a question in the right-wing echo chamber, but then Paul Gosar, who is a leader in the Republican Party, let's be clear, he's not a fringe figure, him and Marjorie Taylor Greene, they're not right. fringe figures, right. they are they are leaders, let's look at what he said, play this clip. Same with Liz Cheney, is there a chance that you guys could prosecute certain members of Congress or former members of Congress over the January 6th? I, I, I would not leave uh, it just that, I think there's also military that are involved. Right. And I think that they're, you know, heads off the wall. Otherwise, you condone this uh, lawlessness. And that's what America sees. We see lawlessness in Chicago. We see lawlessness on our border. We see lawlessness everywhere. And it's part of the precipitating actions that Congress is allowed. What about the guy asking the question? Yo, so like, what do you think, bro, about... Uh... Should, 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 should we be prosecuting? Should we be prosecuting Cheney, bro? What do you think? No, it's, it's all such a ridiculous yeah, thing to watch. It's just so weird. It's it's a weird fascist echo chamber. Paul Gosar, clearly not physically right. or mentally well, by the way, as well. I mean, you watch that. You don't have to watch it without sound. But if you watch it without sound, you see even more that there is something seriously wrong with him that he is hiding from the public. That doesn't excuse his actions. I, I just, you know, it has to be pointed out. But you have this guy who's from the Gateway Pundit, which is a fake news, uh, far-right news source, asking the question. And this is the Republican Party in a microcosm, if you will. You have a guy, everything that is reality is flipped on its head in the MAGAverse. Everything that they do is designed to just flood the zone with endless amounts of disinformation and lies. And it's lies in the pursuit of fascism in silencing their political enemies, who in this case are the investigators who are investigating a domestic terrorist attack on the United States of America. Because in the Republican mind, in the rotted MAGA brain that you see here of Paul Gosar, the people who attacked the Capitol, the people who attacked the United States of America, those are the heroes. And the people who tried to prevent the attack of January 6th are the villains in his mind and are the criminals and they should be locked up. It is very, very, very Putin-esque. And we're going to see this, though, in all aspects of our society. And that might be ridiculous and out of left field, but Republicans use those sorts of lies and disinformation to fuel problems in the country that have real-world effects on your life. And we'll get into that as we talk about their reaction to the Silicon Valley bank collapse. But it's the same tactic. I just want you to know it's the same Putin-esque disinformation tactic designed to destabilize and destroy the United States of America. And speaking of, like, Americans wanting normalcy, like I showed you Paul Gosar, who is a leader. Let's show you a clip of the cult leader. Like, this is the videos that Donald Trump is actually making today. He is spending today making videotapes of himself calling the federal prosecutor who is investigating him a mad dog psycho and requesting that the mad dog psycho go after Obama and Biden. 
And Donald Trump is the leader of the Republican Party. He, he is, unquestionably. Who the current Republican Party today is today is led by Donald Trump. Here, just play this clip from earlier. Mad Dog Psycho Prosecutor Jack Smith. Sounds like a very innocent name, doesn't it? Put there for only one reason by Biden and the Justice Department. Should stop this witch hunt altogether, or at a minimum, should give Biden, Obama, and everybody else the same treatment as they give me. Because we have two sets of justice in our country, and the people won't stand for it. I mean, just such a whiny victim mentality by him. And then he goes, Jack how about that dog whistle there? When he goes, Jack Smith, such a, such a nice name. Well, one of the things that he goes and talks about, and you have to give kind of the broader context, though, is he always claims that Jack Smith's name is a fake name. And the dog whistle that Donald Trump is giving to his base is that Jack Smith is actually like a, a fake name that Jack Smith uses because Jack Smith really has a Jewish last name. And that's the dog whistle right there. But when he goes, that sounds like a, like an innocent name. I mean, just the fact that he's even saying those words is so bizarre. And then he makes another video. that he made a series of videos today. And in the next video, he calls for mental competency tests. Mind you, what really could, the test that should occur is everybody should have to get a security clearance if you want to be president. I, I really feel that way. He would fail every security clearance. In, in a, he wouldn't even be able to take a security clearance test, yet alone pass a security clearance test. Jared Kushner, of course, failed the security clearance, yet he was given all of our classified and top-secret information, which he then gave to the Saudis and other foreign governments so that Kushner could get bailed out of his bankruptcies. Like, that's another thing that our government should actually be investigating when we're talking about weaponization and corruption. Let's look straight in the face of Jared Kushner and Ivanka. But the other video that Donald Trump made, I guess, as it's very clear to him that he's going to be indicted. He goes, we need a mental competency exam. I, I, I did great on my mental competency exam. Remember when I said man, woman, person? Remember, I would do even better. I'm a, but just the fact that he's saying this, like how isn't it 100% of Americans who watch what I'm about to show you and go, the hell is that? I mean, it's 65, 70%. It's growing to 75%. But how is there still 30 or 25% of people who look at that and go, that's a that's a, someone who I want to lead. That's that's someone who I want to uh, get me through these very difficult times. Here, play this clip. <laughs> In my mind, anybody running for the office of president of the United States should agree to take a full and complete mental competency test simultaneously or before <laughs> with the announcement that he or she is running. And likewise, but to a somewhat lesser extent, agree to a test which would Prove that you are physically capable of doing the job as president. Being an outstanding president requires test. great mental acuity and physical stamina and strength. Something if you don't have these qualities test. or traits, it is likely that you will not succeed and you will disappoint the entire world, let alone our own country. We need to make America great again. Take a competency test. Let's, let's, let's see Trump. whether or not these people that are running for office are competent. I took the test two years ago, and I aced it. <laughs> and I'd love to take it again because I think I'd even do better. 
Some weird stuff, man. <laughs> that is a mental competence. Watching those videos should be a mental competence. Yeah, that's I, I am ruling. I am ruling right now. Competent, incompetent. And let's also, in addition to the person, woman, man, camera, TV part of the exam, uh, I just want to refresh people's memories of the interview with Chris Wallace that Trump did as he was bragging about this test. And Chris Wallace called him out on it. And he goes, it asked you to name what an elephant is. (laughs) It showed you a picture of an elephant and said, what is this? This is the test you're bragging about? And Trump's like, oh, it was very hard. I I bet not a lot of people. They're like, it asked you what a giraffe was. It It showed you a picture of a giraffe that said, what is this? Here's an image I'll show to the viewers, but it's really like the most basic. (laughs) Which one is an alligator? (laughs) This is what he's bragging about two years later. Two years later, he's bragging about passing this test. I mean, this is just outrageous. To even brag about this test is incompetent. But Ben, I know Trump didn't stop there. Trump with the back against the wall. He's going on a rampage today of making these short clips. He just locked himself in whatever weird, deranged basement in Mar-a-Lago where he records these things. And he's just, dude just been on a tear. Where did he go next? Well, next he talked about uh, going after the, uh, he went after the prosecutors. He said the real issue here is that there are all of these, that these prosecutors are racist in reverse and that the reason that he is being investigated and likely going to be indicted by Alvin Bragg is because Alvin Bragg is a racist in reverse, and that's why Donald Trump is being prosecuted, not because Donald Trump broke the law. Crooked Democrat prosecutors, many of them racist in reverse, they are absolute racist, are trying to steal a second presidential election. They did it in 2020, and we're not going to let them do it again in 2024. Make America great again. Buddy, can you turn the lights on, too, in that room also? Like, like is, is, is he trying to, like, look at the fascist playbook and just make the thing look as, like, ominous as possible? You know, it's so dark in the room, you can almost only see his teeth. It's so intentional, Ben. You, you got to understand, the guy is not going to look great with good lighting on his face. I mean, that's... That, that. Is that there are all of these that these prosecutors are racist in reverse, and that the reason that he is being investigated and likely going to be indicted by Alvin Bragg is because Alvin Bragg is a racist in reverse, and that's why Donald Trump is being prosecuted, not because Donald Trump broke the law. These are videos he's making. Play this clip. Crooked Democrat prosecutors, many of them racists in reverse. They are absolute racists. Why are trying to so steal dark? a second presidential election. They did it in 2020, and we're not going to let them do it again in 2024. Make America great again. Buddy, can you turn the lights on, too, in that room also? <laughs> like, like is, is, is he trying to, like, look at the fascist playbook and just make the thing look as, like, ominous as possible? You know, it's so dark in the room, you can almost only see his teeth. It's, 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 it's so intentional, Ben. You you gotta understand, the guy is not gonna look great with good lighting on his face. I mean, that that that's ultimately why. I want you to make it as dark as possible. <laughs> I want no one to be able to see me. And then I'm gonna I'm gonna start off with Mad Dog Psycho. I'm gonna make a video about Mad Dog Psycho. And then I'm gonna go in. I'm gonna go into talking about r- racist in reverse. Let me hit that. Okay. All right, you ready? Racist in reverse prosecutors. Are 
right, where do we go next? Where do we go next? Mental competency exam. Got to hit the mental competency. And then where do I go next? Let's talk about uh, Trump derangement syndrome. Let me make a new video on that. All right, you ready? Three, two, one, Trump derangement system. Brett, play this video where he talks about Trump derangement syndrome. Massive and unprecedented prosecutorial misconduct due to Trump derangement syndrome and very, very big leads against both parties in the polls. That's what's causing it. We can't let it happen. It's illegal as can be. We're going to stop it. We're not going to let them win elections by using the law illegally. The law. Thank you. The law illegally. I mean, By the way, he, he, he can't speak. He doesn't speak well, right? So it's like you don't know where to put that punctuation. And so it just sounds like a confession there that, that he's going to use the law illegally so that Democrats can't, can't win elections. That's what, it, that's what that actually sounds like when you listen to it. He's so close to being right on some of these videos because he goes, we have a two-tier justice system where you have justice for some. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's exactly right. Except you're the one who's been evading justice all this time. And now it's time for you to pay the price. And look, the reason he's making these videos of himself is that it was a very busy day. Uh, in the Manhattan Grand Jury. Um, we started off with the knowledge that Donald Trump uh, has turned down the invitation to uh, speak before the Grand Jury, which is usually the precursor to a criminal indictment. Then we learned about Michael Cohen. By the way, we're going to have Michael Cohen tomorrow on, of course, Political Beatdown, which I co-host with him. So I'm excited to get as much as he is able to share with us. But we're going to talk more about what took place in the Manhattan Grand Jury. Uh, later on this episode. But Brett, where I want to start off talking about, though, too, is you talked about how everything in the MAGAverse is like done in reverse. It's like the upside down world where up is down and down is up. And so when you think about this law that MAGA Republicans uh, passed in 2018, the 115th Congress, that's when the Republicans controlled the House, Republicans controlled the Senate, Republicans controlled the White House. And so could they, one of the things Trump was saying was, I'm going to pass the greatest health care bill. It's going to be better than Obamacare. Well, by the way, if you could come up with something better than Obamacare, that'd be great. Right, Brad, Jordy? I mean, like, we're, we're good with that. I, I want you to do that. Oh, good. I'd, I'd be supportive of that plan. Um, I'm going to make the infrastructure the best you've ever seen. Just give me two more weeks. I, I would support that. All the Democrats said they would support that. And by the way, you controlled every single, you controlled the Senate, you controlled the House, you controlled the White House. So it would have been very easy to pass an infrastructure plan. So I think it's still coming in two weeks. I think it's still coming in two weeks. Right? That's what I'm hearing. Very easy to pass it. By the way, though, I would have been supportive of it. I would not have been, oh, it's Trump, so I'm against infrastructure. I would have been like, that's a smart, savvy move. We support that. But what was their shining piece of legislation? Well, there's two, right? One was the tax cuts, which got a lot of publicity for billionaires. Let's make sure that billionaires Billionaires can get more jets and write off more private jets and write off all write off everything. Like let's just give all the benefits to the billionaires and let's screw the middle class and the working class. And I just remember that signing ceremony where all of them were just clapping as they screwed over their base. 
They screwed over the working class and middle class people who they, you know, claim to appeal to. And I, and, and, and I was like, oh, don't you know you're just being played by these people? Um, but that is, you know, one of their major pieces of legislation. And then their other big piece of legislation that they announced publicly, but I guess it got a little bit of less fanfare, was the signing of Senate Bill 2155, which was referred to as the Economic Growth Regulatory Relief and Consumer Protection Act. So when I say everything's in reverse, it did the opposite of economic growth, it did the opposite of causing regulatory relief, and it did the opposite of causing consumer protection. That's for sure. It certainly did the opposite of causing consumer protection. And look, back in 2007, 2008, during the financial crisis, there is a reason why ultimately emerging from that crisis, there was critical legislation that was passed. The Dodd-Frank Act, which was enacted to create stress tests and other regulatory supervision, specifically of regional banks and local banks, banks just like Silicon Valley Bank, to address them from incurring too much risks. And to the extent the risk was identified as part of the regulatory scheme, there could be early intervention so that it could avoid well in advance any type of bank run from occurring. It was the exact reason why you had Dodd-Frank enacted at this point about 15 years ago, right? It was to address this point. And then when Donald Trump came into office, his crowning piece of legislation was to basically slam Dodd-Frank and to go all in on removing all those regulations which were not put in place because Democrats were like, we love regulations, let's throw more regulations, right? No, it's because we learned, right? We learn from the history and go, you know what? That caused the crisis. If we had done this, we could have avoided it. And so I think we even have, So, because you really can't understand what took place with the Silicon Valley bank failure unless you understand that it is existing in this post-Trump regulatory scheme. And then some people go, oh, and I want to address this. Well, why couldn't Biden, by an executive order, just remove the law that Trump passed in this video? Because it's a law. It's not an executive order. One of the executive's orders that Biden did implement was to come up with the plan to eventually overrule what Donald Trump did. But Republicans have the filibuster. So because of the filibuster, you have to come up with what your priorities are in terms of what legislation you want to pass. Biden passed a lot of historic um, uh, legislation. I mean, a lot of laws were enacted, but that one just wouldn't, based on the filibuster, that feasibly cannot be implemented. And it couldn't be implemented by an executive order. And Trump was able to implement it because he controlled all of the various branches. And by removing regulations, you're able to then basically classify it as deficit neutral, which is not an accurate characterization because it doesn't 
show the future impact that something like this is going to cause. And then ultimately, if you say, hey, I want to imp- I want to put in a regulation because it would technically increase the deficit on paper or increase the debt, it triggers the ability to filibuster it and not get around the filibuster. So I know that's technical, but I do want to address that because you know, people are like, well, why didn't Biden fix it? But to me, I don't know what you think, Brett. The very fact that that question's asked is like, okay, so why did they, Trump created the problem? Though. Like, let's be very clear. Like, why, why didn't we put out the fires that he created? Just play the signing, Brett, and I want you then, if you can, to kind of break down in layman's terms what took place with SVB. The legislation I'm signing today rolls back the crippling Dodd-Frank regulations that are crushing community banks and credit unions nationwide. They were in such trouble. One size fits all. Those rules just don't work. And community banks and credit unions should be regulated the same way. And you have to really look at this. They should be regulated the same way with proviso for safety as in the past when they were vibrant and strong, but they shouldn't be regulated the same way as the large, complex financial institutions. And that's what happened. And they were being put out of business one by one. And they weren't lending. Since its passage in 2010, Dodd-Frank has dealt a huge blow to community banking. As a candidate, I pledged that we would rescue these community banks from Dodd-Frank, the disaster of Dodd-Frank, And now we are keeping that commitment, and all of the people with me are keeping that commitment. We passed and signed a record number of bills terminating job-killing regulations. In the history of our country, no president, whether it's four years, eight years, or 16 years in one case, has ever passed more regulation cuts. So that's what they're bragging about. Of course, we talked on the other episode about how Trump removed regulations regarding railroad safety. Their main policy was removing things to make people safer. And so it's the arsonists who then, I guess they want to claim that they want to then be the firefighters. Not even that, though. They're like, hey, we're the arsonists. Can you give us some more fire? <laughs> what do you think, Brett? Can you break down what, what happened at SVB in, in, in the most basic terms? Yeah, and first I'll just say, you know, I think this is going to be happening to our country now, unfortunately, for years, if not decades. I think Donald Trump laid a ton of landmines in those four years and done untold did untold damage to our nation, and we will see it continue to pop up like this. Like, it's going to keep happening because the damage was so precise, and it spans all these various industries, and it affects people on a very granular level. I mean, Trump had a policy that he was pushing. I remember, you guys remember when Trump would go, for every one regulation that's added, two regulations need to be cut. I mean, sounds good on a bumper sticker, but you got to realize a lot of these regulations are here for a reason. These regulations were put here in response to the 2008-2009 financial crisis. These regulations were here for a reason. So instead of just indiscriminately saying all regulations are bad, we need to chop down. Remember that footage we showed of the Trump uh, of the train regulations that he cut when he showed the the visual was him taking a big scissor and cutting the ribbon in between Mm -hmm. the regulations in the year. uh, When was that? From 2018, cutting that back to 1960 standards. Guess what? We've made a lot of 
first stride since 1960. And there are a lot of regulations that have put in there that have made this country a lot safer. We've learned a lot of things. So now let's get into the nitty gritty of SVP. And this is a real high level view of the situation. So it won't be all the details, but I hope that it's enough that you guys can kind of understand a little bit of, of what's going on here. So for the record, SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, it's like the Silicon Valley Bank. It's the bank that is the go-to for tech companies. When VCs, when venture capitals invest in tech companies, they usually require that the companies invest their money in SVP. It's a very popular tech bank. And so they recently, as everybody pr probably knows by now, just became the largest bank to fail since the 2008 financial crisis. They're a, a, a regional bank. They had a ton of cash at first because they were a tech company and tech was growing at a rapid rate. And these VCs would get their money put into the bank. So they, they had a ton of cash. They had a lot of money. What they decided to do with the money was not all that controversial. They decided to put it in treasury bonds, which should be a stable, modest investment that produces modest returns. And they did that while interest rates were low, thinking that interest rates would be low kind of forever. But it turns out that thinking was a little bit short term because when the Fed raised rates, the bonds became worthless, which wouldn't normally be an issue. But the problem is SVP would have to wait for those bonds to mature over a long period of time before they could take that money out without penalty. It wasn't liquid at this point. But because of the slowdown in the tech center, in, in, in the tech sector, deposits started slowing to the bank, clients started withdrawing their money, and the bank started to run out of money. And so in response to this, the parent company of SVP said it would undertake a 2.25 billion share sale after selling $21 billion of securities from its portfolio, and they would be taking a $2 billion loss in the process. And so they were doing this to try to get more liquid cash. We need more cash, right? But this had the effect of terrifying people who invested in the banks and terrifying the VCs who invested in the banks. And so panic spread, which ultimately led to a run on SVP. And this all kind of happened kind of over Slack chats and over Twitter of these tech people all kind of freaking out about what was going on SVP. And if they kind of just sat there and did nothing and, and didn't panic, nothing would have happened. But they kind of instigated this run on the bank and SVB was not prepared to handle it. And the person who sparked this call was actually Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel, as you know, is a he's a far right venture capitalist who funds a ton of tech companies, huge guy in the tech industry. He also helped bankroll a lot of these campaigns and super PACs for these far right candidates during the uh, 2022 elections. Like Blake Masters was his guy. That was that was Peter Thiel's guy. But Peter Thiel and his company, his fund, they started to tell all their companies that they manage the money for to pull their money out of the bank while they could. They sounded the alarm. And so these companies started pulling their money out of the bank. And so what happened? The bank went under virtually overnight. Yeah, so Peter Thiel's founder fund, which is a fund made up of a lot of startups, it's, it's a very big fund, um, by telling all these founders, this is what's been reported, that, hey, the moment uh, that SVB 
um, uh, offer to sell additional shares in it and take this significant loss. Hey, get your money out of there. Be- what the reporting is is that because of how big the founders fund is, that when those uh, companies withdrew, it then really kind of started this cascade. And then, Brett, to your point. Um, the environment on Twitter generally right now without disinformation being filtered um, is such that there was through Twitter pretty much being spread this widespread panic about Silicon Valley Bank. And normally in the past when it was run by mature people who had standards about disinformation, spreading disinformation could lead to being banned. That's not a censorship of free speech. It's let's use a platform responsibly. Um, But in this kind of current environment, there was a lot of disinformation that spread on Twitter. And by the way, you don't have to take that from me. You could take that from the Republican chair of the Financial Services Committee um, who put out a statement. And in that statement, um, this is by Chairman McHenry, Republican Patrick McHenry, who said today, House Financial Services Committee, uh, Patrick McHenry issued the following statement. After the Federal Reserve, Treasury Department and Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation announced actions regarding Silicon Valley Bank, quote, this was the first Twitter fueled bank run. At this time, it is important to remain level-headed and look at the facts, not speculation, when assessing the right path forward. I have confidence in our financial regulators and protections already in place to ensure the safety and soundness of our financial system. And look, this is a moment, and Brett and Jordy, I want to get your take on it. McHenry's right. I don't want to criticize. There's a lot of other areas where I'll criticize McHenry, but it is a time to be level-headed. And so on the one hand, we can compare the level-headedness, I think, of which President Biden addressed this. And let's Mm. compare it to DeSantis, and let's compare it to what Fox is saying in a moment. But I will criticize Republicans where criticism is due, which is often a lot. But that statement was the right statement to make. Yeah, no, 100%. That was the right statement to make. And the most important thing that you could have is somebody level-headed at the helm dealing with the issue. But what you had over the weekend, especially on social media, were these panicked, all-caps tweets from these far-right venture capitalists on Twitter. You know, one of the funny things that I keep seeing from a lot of these MAGA Republicans out there is they go, the liberal VCs of, of, of San Francisco, the liberal Silicon Valley. This, I'm like, have you ever talked to any anybody who works in Silicon Valley. Have you ever talked to any of these venture capitalists? They're not really liberal on the whole. They're very libertarian. They're all kind of like Elon Musk's, if I'm generalizing here. Mm-hmm. They're all kind of like Elon Musk-style people. And these were the people who were going absolutely nuts over the weekend because one of the things that they kind of didn't mention but was very obvious is that they had invested a lot of money in a lot of these companies who use the bank because they required them to use this bank. So they were scared that they were going to take a hit with all these actions and they were trying to, in fact, scare people, trying to stoke bank runs, trying to pressure the Biden administration to do things, criticizing them before they even did any Thing. There was the most outside, most insane panic on the on the planet, and you know there's there's a phrase which you know you may have heard whether you agree with it or not. But there's a saying that goes, "There are no atheists in foxholes," 
the the complimentary the complimentary statement to that in this case would be there are no libertarians in a bank run. So as the bank run is happening, these libertarians who for all this time were going no government get away no regulation we don't want it government stay out of Silicon Valley were the first ones to go. You have to do something right now 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 it's Saturday this just happened thirty minutes ago. Yeah, why isn't the government intervening? Government intervene. Um, words you the same people back when uh, when the law was in being introduced S2155 when you said <laughs> government get out and now you want the government back in now you like Dodd-Frank I mean but look I think Biden did the right thing here Biden absolutely did not give a ballot Biden gave relief to the depositors and that's a big difference you know if you were a shareholder or if you were an executive at the bank and by the way we need to look into a lot of the trading behavior of those executives at silicon oh, valley yeah, Bank. you know who who coincidentally and i put it on in air quotes sold a lot of shares over the past few weeks wow. but those people are not getting a bailout here and in fact biden said we need to investigate people who engaged in wrongdoing at every level. But Biden said people who innocently deposit money at a bank, which is supposed to be a risk-free proposition, deserve to have the money that they put into a bank. When you put money into a bank, you're not engaging in high-risk speculatory securities, okay? You're putting your money in a bank deposit, and you expect to be able to withdraw that amount of money. But it didn't stop anybody. What were you going to say, Brett? Because, like, I was going to say, to your point, you know, I, I saw a lot of criticism over the decision that Biden made from both the right, from the Marjorie Taylor Greene types and Lauren Boebert types, two people on the left. And when I saw this, I just really didn't understand it. I, I mean, I think first we have to acknowledge there were no popular decisions that Biden could make here. It was either let people lose all their money, let these businesses right. lose all their money or protect them. And I think Biden took a nuanced approach, which is not a taxpayer funded anything, which is not a bailout to the shareholders, which is not bailout the executives, but that secures the money for depositors. I mean, just think about when you put your money in the bank. You assume that the money you put in the bank will be there tomorrow. That is the crux of our entire financial system. Of course, that needs to be protected. This is where these startup businesses kept their money for payroll. So just think about the consequences if they are unable to access that money for their payroll. Think of the working families who work for these startups who then aren't able to receive a paycheck because they are mm -hmm. not able to access their money in the bank. So I think it's easy. I think it's really easy to try to be like, oh, this is the VC douchebags. They're getting their, they're getting the bailout. Why is it? Why? Why? Why do they deserve anything? But this is really much larger than that. And I know people will be like, oh, you know, I, 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 I could already see the comments coming in of, of people who would be like. But they knew that it was insured by the FDIC up to $250,000. They should have known that the money above two hundred fifty k wasn't insured. I mean, if you want to be super technical, sure. I mean, I will concede that. But these are businesses which, with large payrolls and 
your solution to that, I guess, is, well, they should have opened up like 10 different bank accounts, which is just completely impractical as a mm-hmm. business. Like, we just need to be practical here about what these businesses are doing. And at the end of the day, this is absolutely the right move. Help the depositors. Make sure people know that when you put your money into a bank, that you are going to have it the following day. It shouldn't just go and vanish. Now, if you tried to buy stock in that company and the company failed, that's on you. If you were an executive in the company, that's on you. And let's push for more regulations and let's push for accountability. Let's look into the stock trades of the executives who cashed out coincidentally just weeks before. Let's look into the CEO of the bank, Gregory Becker, who sold 11% of his shares on February 27th, about $3.6 million worth of stock. Let's look into their counsel, Michael Zucker, who sold 19% of their stock on February 5th. Let's look into their CFO, Daniel Beck, who sold 32% of their stock on February 26th. Michael Michelle Draper, the CMO, who sold 25% of her stock on February 1st. Let's look into all that. Let's push for more regulations. But let's not leave working people who work for these businesses on the hook. And it also affects, you know, like, for example, like Etsy is one of their partnerships. Like Etsy has to do business, you know, and when you buy stuff on Etsy, those are a lot of small businesses, people who are working out of their homes, people trying to sell products. If all of a sudden they don't have a bank where they could process their transactions and, and fund the entire entity, then those small businesses go under too. And it could have a catastrophic Shut effect up, at large. So I think we need to all take a more nuanced approach here. I think out of all the bad options, because there really was no like, this is great, everyone's going to be happy. I think Biden took the steady option. Biden took the correct approach here, and truthfully, the only option that was even on the table that you could even take. About the stock sell off. That's pretty sus. place right here. 
And look, let, let's just compare the level-headedness of Biden to what the Republicans are saying. I mean, look, this is the this is the head of the House Oversight Committee, Chairman James Comer, and uh, uh, Comer's a MAGA Republican. And just watch what he says about what he believes caused this. And then we see now coming out that uh, they were one of the most woke banks nah. in uh, their inv their quest what for the fuck does uh, that the mean? ESG type uh, type policy. They should be forced to, to say what that means. This could be a trend. And they don't know. Which is for bad Democrat policy, and I think we need to keep an eye on all the the banking sector right now. Right, let's just be as unserious as we can be. Like, let's show what clowns we are and just say it's the woke ideology. Let, let's not actually do the breakdown that Brett gave and let's actually talk about of course the not. They're protecting the regulations to exist. We should talk about it. Let's not have even conversations about interest rates and about long term, long term maturity of treasury bonds. Like, no, 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 no. Let's just walk. It's embarrassing. It is embarrassing when they do that woke routine. And it, it, we've talked about this before. The whole woke routine that they're doing, they've completely overplayed their woke hand. Like they, they weaponized the word originally. And now the fact that because they are so vapid, because they don't have any actual theories and they don't even want to have conversations with people, they just go, yeah, that's because it's woke. It's because it's woke. It's because of potato head. It's because of greed and the dams. <laughs> it's, it's, it's because of Disney characters. Yeah, that, that, it's because of bathrooms. It's because of pronouns. And eventually Americans are like, no, no, it, 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 it's not. It's because of you. <laughs> it's because of you. And stop with potato head. And stop with M&Ms. And stop treating me like that. And increasingly, I just think that the number of, you know, 60, 65% of Americans who just are repelled wow. by that, that number is continuing to go up and up and up. We'll talk about that more just right after this quick break. And now let's take a quick break to talk about our next partner, Z-Biotics. Do you ever people work out because they've drank the night before? Well, me too. If you're committed to your healthy routine this year, you need Z-Biotics. Z-Biotics Pre-Alcohol Probiotic is the world's first to age and debate with DeSantis because the guy's just not ready for prime time, bro. And yeah, I won't go more into DeSantis. I don't know if you want to hit Trump indictment watch first because there are some other major, major, major updates to bring everybody listening and watching this podcast. But the whole woke diversity thing, you know, it's exactly what Pete Buttigieg has said about Republicans as a whole, that when you're using a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And that's DeSantis. Like he only has one move because he only looks at things one way. Everything is a woke nail that he's got to hit down. And it's just like a joke. I, you know, I saw this meme kind of going around that, uh, let me see if I could find it so I don't mess it up. But there was this guy who was speaking about Elon Musk. And uh, the point of what he was trying to say was, you know, I, I knew that he was a genius. I, I thought that he was a genius at these certain industries because I didn't know those industries. But once he started speaking about what my expertise was, I realized. 